All right, will we continue our, our time in, in James? We are here in James chapter 3, as you can see there from uh, the sermon title. We'll be going over the tongue, and this is part two of it. And um, the last time we uh, went through it, we were talking about uh, the fact that uh, not many of us ought to be teachers because we would incur a stricter judgment. But more than that, I think James's point was that we would be careful in regards to the tongue. And over and over again in that first part of chapter 3, he really details how powerful and influential the tongue can be. And so he wants us to be careful in terms of how we use it. And he's going to further that thought here as we continue in this section. And we, as we continue on, just want to take a step back and remind ourselves of what James is trying to do as a shepherd of his church. He's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's shepherding the Jerusalem church at this time. And there's many issues in this new incipient church that has formed. There's a lot of suffering. There seems to be some partiality. And here, there seems to be some quarrels. He'll detail later here at the beginning of chapter 4. Okay, Some infighting. Some immaturity in the church. And so what James is trying to do is, hey, when we meet Jesus and we place our trust and faith in him, there's a consequence for that. There are ramifications. There ought to be a change in our lives. It's not just a matter of saying we believe and trust him, in him now, but that belief and that faith has utter consequences. He is a man of consequence. And James wants us to understand that it affects the way that we think, the way that we react in certain circumstances, the way that we treat the poor, the way that we treat the marginalized, the way that we treat the rich, the way that we act or don't act in regards to the Lord. And here, it affects the way in which we will speak. So I want us to get a kind of a bird's eye view of, of that process is that as we talk about our, our tongue today, but it's, it's in the larger context of as we know and follow Jesus, there's a transformation that goes on. There is a changing of our thoughts, of our lives, and here in this section, our very tongues. So You know, it's not a matter of just willpower that we're going to talk about. You know, oh, you know, I, I need to talk better. Oh, you know, I, not to, I need not to cuss like a sailor. It's not just about that. It's in the larger context of, hey, I know Jesus. And because I know Jesus, that there's, there's a consequence for my life. There ought to be a change and transformation in my life. And that is what James is getting to. And here, he's going to zero in on the tongue. Because as small as tongue 
it, as small as the tongue is, okay, it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful potential weapon. And James wants us to be aware of that so that we would, first of all, be aware and then be careful in terms of how we utilize our tongues, our speech. All right. So as we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to read our section, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it, okay? All right, James chapter 3. This is 5b. This is the second half of chapter, uh, verse 5 to the verse 12. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting up fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and begin our time in, in God's word. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to come together as a congregation and look to your word. And as James has been instructing us, Lord, may we really see the importance of the tongue here uh, in your word this morning, that we may be aware of its powerful potential. And as we do that, that we would be able to be careful and guard our speech and tongues. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I like to do sometimes, ooh, that's the outline, okay? So uh, you can see from the outline there's only three major points. Tongue destroys and defiles. Tongue cannot be tamed. And tongue can be used to bless and curse. But as we begin, I want to show you a little picture you guys know that picture? How many of you guys have an idea or a clue? Happened in 1871. Okay, that's uh, Mrs. O'Leary, and this is Mrs. O'Leary's cow. And if you've never heard of this story, they don't know if this is actually true or just urban legend, but... Thank you. That will be a constant battle this morning. Thank you. All right, where were we? All right, Mrs. O'Leary. October of 1871, uh, there was a great, what was called the Great Chicago Fire. And it was supposedly started by this cow. As Mrs. O'Leary was milking the cow, the cow hit the lamp 
and the lamp uh, caused the fire in a burn, barn, and subsequent to that, it lit uh, a good portion of Chicago on fire. And it's known, if you go to Chicago, uh, I guess Chicagoans will know of this, okay? But uh, um, why, why, why did I mention that? It is because a small little fire craze caused a great big one. In fact, on this very same, on that very same day, okay, uh, there was even a, a bigger fire in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. Any of you familiar with Peshtigo, Wisconsin? Maybe one, okay, TJ, okay, but. <laughs> Over 1.2 million acres uh, uh, was burned on that very same day. Now, uh, the Chicago fire took all the headlines, okay, because Peshtigo was like in, you know, very rural. But to this day, um, it, it estimates between 1,500 to 2,500 people perished in that fire. And it's considered the greatest uh, tragedy in terms of, of uh, a natural fire to this day. And again, they're not certain to the cause of it, but there's, they're uh, guessing that it started from a series of small fires that kind of conflated and, and came together and created this great fire of 1871. And all to say, and, and to illustrate that the, a small fire is able to create great Havoc when it is fueled by uh, something. And that's James's point here at the very first point, okay? You see there, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Okay, and James is using a play of words here. This great and small can be used either as great or small. In the Greek, it's the same word. But he's saying that a great wood, but most likely he's talking about the, the shrubbery around the Palestine area. As an illustration, a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And as James has outlined in the previous section, how powerful and influential the tongue can be, he's going to be more direct here in terms of its application of its destructive potential, of how negatively we can use the tongue. And here, excuse me. The great negative potential that can be wrought because of our speech and we'll see that uh, James is going to point out that uh, the tongue is in fact a fire. And look there at uh, verse 6. Okay. <laughs> the first point that we want to understand is that the tongue is a fire, and because the tongue is a fire, it can cause great damage. Um, uh, 
points out that uh, in verse uh, 5, it's a small member, and yet when the tongue is transformed into fire, it can do a world of damage. There are four things that... I'm sorry. I'm all over my notes here. Okay. The first thing that we want to see is that... uh, not only here in James, but also in Proverbs, it shows that the tongue has the potential for great destruction. Look at Proverbs chapter 26, verses 20 to 21. And in there it says, For a lack of wood, the fire goes out, and when there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And this proverb is pointing out that once we use our tongue in negative ways, it has the potential for great destruction. And notice here that there is fuel to the fire. And that fuel is a a quarreling tongue, a whispering tongue. This is the idea of a gossiping or a cutting tongue, okay, And when we use our tongue in negative ways, we can see the destruction that it can cause. The question we ask ourselves is, is there times when we regret the things that we have said? Or as you think about even uh, this past week, were there moments in the week that you thought to yourself, you know what, Uh, I shouldn't have said that, okay? But because you did, it ended up causing great destruction. It is the smallest of words that can cause great harm. There are two psychologists that studied marriages for 20 years, and they came up with six different principles. But one of the principles was that for every 20 acts of kindness, one zinger, they call that Uh, a negative uh, comment, okay? It's a euphemism for negative comment. Would counteract 20 acts of kindness. And the, the, out of uh, a a thousand um, uh, uh, acts of kindness, if there was more than 10%, it was more than likely that that marriage would end up in divorce. If it was less than 5%, it was more than likely that that marriage would last. But all to say that, um, you know, what psychology is trying to or is identifying is that all that good work, all the things that we, you know, try to do in our lives, in our marriages, that may seem to be on the positive, one little remark one little comment can destroy and here statistically they're saying 20 acts of kindness and all to say that the power of the tongue cannot be underestimated it is one sharp comment that can ruin a marriage it can be one sharp comment that can ruin a relationship. And this is what James is pointing out here, is that the tongue, if used incorrectly, if used for harm, 
can bring a world of hell. Okay? It destroys. And the second thing is that it defiles. Okay, look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A tongue, oops, a tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire their entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. There are four things here that we want to look at here in the second section. The de- tongue defiles you and others. The first concept is that he characterizes it as a world of iniquity. Look there at verse 6. It is a world of unrighteousness. It's another word for wickedness, iniquity. And he's saying that the tongue is in a system, that's the word for world there, for unrighteousness. Later on, James will say the very same thing about the world in, in verse 4 of chapter 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And here, as well as in verse 4, it seems to be using that it's a system of unrighteousness. That the world right now, as in its fallen state, is in a world of iniquity, wickedness, and unrighteousness. And so by default, the tongue is set in a world of iniquity. Out of our members of our body, our tongue is connected to this world system. And it can be a conduit for the world system to our very lives that the way that we, we in which we use the tongue can bring in a world of unrighteousness and you may ask well how is that done lying gossiping exaggerating cutting comments grumbling complaining anxiousness There are many varied ways in which we can bring the world of iniquity through our tongues. It can rage out of control, and the more we use it for wickedness, the more it gets used to being that way. Out of all of our members of our body, it can be the conduit for sensuality, for cutting down other people, for lying, for gossiping, for fornications. Okay. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 23. <clears throat> Let's turn there. <clears throat> This is a concept that we pointed out um, last time in verse 20 to 23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. And from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. James is pointing to the fact that it is, well, Mark is here, okay, but James is pointing to the fact that the tongue is the conduit for a world system of evils. And as we see here, those are some of the examples that we can see here in Mark. The second thing that he outlines here is that it stains the whole body. And this is what it means that it defiles the body. So through the tongue, it can not only defile our um, hearts, but it, it's referring to not just the physical body, but the entire person or being. And through our tongues, it will defile or stain or contaminate all that comes uh, in contact with it. We pointed out that the tongue is merely a conduit for what resides in the heart. So the heart is the entirety of who we are before God. And the last time we mentioned the concept of heart is that it is the mission control center. It is the seed of our will, our thoughts, and ultimately our choices. And as, we, as the heart is affected by this world, and so the tongue is a consequence of that. As we fill our hearts with things that defile us, it ultimately affects the, the tongue. And vice versa. As the tongue spews out the things uh, that are in the, in, the, in the heart, it contaminates the whole of our being before the Lord. I think James is pointing out here that it's not just as he was pointing out our actions, but it makes a difference to God how we use our speech and our tongues because it ultimately affects our standing, our entire being before him. So you see the progression here is connected to a system of unrighteousness. It defiles firstly our bodies and secondly, or thirdly, it set on fire the entire course of life. And this is to show that it's not just affecting our own bodies, but it, it reaches out to the entirety of our lives, all of our relationships, all that we are in contact with. So it's not just our standing before the Lord. It's not just our bodies. It's not just who we are, but it's also the course of our lives. It's the idea of this, um, in the Greek, it's actually this, this uh, illustration here. I'll come back to here. It's this course of life, and it's a fire that is set, and it's constantly spinning. But because it's on fire, anything that it com- comes in contact to, it's going to burn. Okay, So that's the idea that is James's trying to set forth is that when we use our tongues in an unrighteous way it affects not only our being but it affects the entire course of our relationships the ones that are around us and lastly 
you see here, set on fire by hell. It is the origin of the defilement that when we use our tongues in an unrighteous, defiling way, that we can be sure that we are speaking from the depths of hell. That your master is not Jesus, it is Satan. That when our tongues are used in an unrighteous, unedifying way, that Satan, in a practical sense, is our master and not Jesus Christ. You can see how destructive the tongue can be. And James is being very explicit here in terms of how the tongue, um, what the tongue is and how it can be used. And when we are using it in a defiling way, we are doing the will of Satan rather than God. Now I remind you, okay, how does Satan use his speech? In the Garden of Eden, when he interacted with Eve, what were the words or kind of words that Eve or, or Satan was saying? Was it edifying? Was it encouraging? Was it the kind of words that direct us toward living a righteous life and following Jesus? Or was it words of deception? It was it words of lies? It was words to ultimately kill. And it, it ended up doing that, okay? It was words of murder. It actually ended the relationship of Adam and Eve to their creator. It ended up in judgment of mankind now following the course of sin and death. So as you think about the very nature of the tongue and how it can be used, all the more we need to be careful because when used in an unrighteous way, it is the very tool of Satan himself. It will defile each and every one of us to the core of our beings, our standing before the righteous God. And secondly, it will destroy the very world, the very relationships that you are involved in. It will not only affect your own life, but it will affect all those that are around you. Because that's what it does, right? And that's what Satan's ultimate aim and goal was. It was to affect the lives and relationships of those that he was trying to influence. And in the same way, when we use our tongues in those manners, we can be sure that we are doing the very will and work of Satan himself. So Christian, as we think about the use of our tongues this morning, as you think about how you used your tongue this week, was it a tool of heaven was it a tool for the Holy Spirit or was it a tool for Satan? What are your relationships like? Is it filled with bitterness, 
with constant struggle for maintaining relationships. You can be sure that if you have problems with fellow believers, fellow people in general, one clue or one place that we ought to be looking very carefully is the tongue. And of course, it, you know, it goes back to the heart. But those two things, as you evaluate just the way that you're living your life, you're standing before the Lord, and your relationships with others, one very great way to understand whether you are growing and maturing in the things of the Lord is to see how you are using your tongue. He illustrates it this way, okay? He illustrates how unwieldy, how powerful the tongue can be when not under the control of the Holy Spirit. He points out in verse 7, it can't be tamed by you. He points out every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is pointing to the idea here that in nature, and as part of our responsibility as human beings, we have dominion over the earth. And a part of that is that we are able to tame all the other creatures. Now, this is not the idea of, of uh, um, domestication. There's a, that's a different idea. But the idea of taming is to be able to control. And literally, he is saying here that every nature or every beast is tamed by the nature of man. So every creature is be able to be subdued by man. I want to give you an illustration of this. Oh, look at Gen- I, I forgot to point Genesis 9 here. <laughs> right here after Noah, uh, this is what the Lord said. Fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. And this is the idea that um, uh, right after the flood, we are given dominion over all these creatures and we're able to subdue them. There's a natural fear, as it were, here in chapter 9, verse 2. One of the largest uh, land animals uh, is, of course, the elephant. And you see here, as powerful as it is, we, with our human ingenuity, are able to even tame these big, powerful animals. Okay, here uh, with Ian in uh, Chiang Mai. We got to ride it several times. Now, you know, there's uh, uh, these elephant camps around Chiang Mai. 
Some of them don't allow you to write it like this, okay, because they think it's very exploitative. But we went to this camp that allows you to write it. You could see that, you know, as, as the mahout, and that was the trainer, he would use this thing, and uh, whenever he poked it, it would go. So the, all, all to illustrate that this big, powerful animal can be subdued and, you know, it's, it's a small village Thai guy, okay? And he's moving this huge animal. An illustration that uh, this is generally true, okay? And this is the other. I don't know if you can see that really well. But it's just pictures of different animals and uh, a person riding it. James likes to uh, show these word pictures to his people. And he's showing through the course of nature, hey, we can, we, and there's a lot of camels around that, that area, okay, in Palestine. And you, we can tame these big things, these small things. But the thing that we can't tame is the tongue. Now, what are we to do with this? Are we supposed to say, well, okay, James, we can't tame the tongue. What are we going to do? I think the idea James is trying to say is, if you're going to try to do it within your own power, if you're going to try to do it within, you know, you pull up your bootstraps and you say, okay, I'm going to now count the words that are coming out of my mouth, okay? And I'm going to make sure that every time I speak that it's only encouraging words, okay? Can we live like that? I guess you could, but it's a very tedious way of living. And in reality, we really can't. Okay. So as followers of Jesus, what are we then to do? Well, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay. In, our, in and of ourselves, if we let our tongues loose and give it free reign, and we are not under the bounds of the Holy Spirit, if we are not controlled by the things of God, and we'll talk about that more here in this next verse, then yes, it's untamable. Then it will run wild. And then it will set the course of our lives into defilement, defiling our beings, running the course of our lives, setting on fire through hell. That is the course that it will follow if we leave it to ourselves and to our natural selves. But if we leave it to the power of God, to the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are able to change it. Lastly, it can be used to bless and curse, okay? And this is the, the final point that James is pointing out here. 
From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I think James is pointing to this Mark 7 passage here. Is when our hearts are transformed by God, can it continue to uh, produce things that are defiling, unrighteous, wicked? And the answer is no. See here, this, I just wanted to give you guys, he keeps on giving word pictures, so I just wanted to kind of picture that for us. The spring, okay, can that produce fresh or salt water? It only produces fresh. That's fig tree. Okay, those, that's a fig tree in Palestine, right? So can a fig tree produce grapes? Can a grapevine produce figs? And the answer, of course, is no. And he's pointing to the very nature of who we are. Okay, so if we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and transformed into new, a new creation, can it produce something that it is not? And James is pointing out to the fact that no. But we do it every day. That with our tongue, we bless or we eulogize our Father, and that's the idea. We speak of, well of, or we curse. We wish, wish evil upon someone. Of the very same terms, experientially, all of us do that. And he's pointing to the fact that that ought not to be. When you turn on the the faucet at your home, what kind of water do you expect that to come out? You don't expect toilet water to be coming out, right? There's an expectation of fresh water to come out. Now, I know that's a very vivid. I don't know why, why I went there. But this is James's point, okay? You're not expecting that thing to come out, okay? And it's the same expectation, okay? When our tongues are redeemed by Jesus, the words that come out ought to be a blessing, not a curse. Okay. But here it is. This is the thing that happens. So what again, when left to our own devices, when left to our natural man, when left to our our sinful fleshly selves, we end up cursing. But when we submit our lives to the power and work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, then it can be transformed. So what are just very practical, appropriate steps, I think, that we can take? Like like we mentioned last time, what is it that you are meditating upon? Because out of the heart flow what's out of your mouths flow what's in your heart, okay? Uh, 
So what is it that you are constantly thinking about? What is it that you are meditating upon? Is it upon his word or is it upon yourselves, this world, all the things of this world? Okay, Because naturally those are the things that will express itself. When our hearts are meditating upon the Dodgers, you're going to talk about their next starter. What trade they should make. Okay, I'm not just picking on Dodger fans, okay? When's the next BTS album coming out? Okay. So those, those are the meditations of our heart. And look, th- th- those are not necessarily evil things, right? Well, again, all I'm asking is, what are we meditating upon? Because those are the things that will a- a- overflow and come out of your mouths. When someone is studying for uh, the MCAT or whatever, okay, that's all they're thinking about. And that's all they're talking to their friends about. (gasps) Right? Okay. The things that are consuming us are naturally what will come out of the overflow of our mouths. And we need to, as his people, as God's people, we need to make it more of a habit to make the meditations of our heart his word the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. And even as we transition to that time of remembering the Lord's death, the Lord's sacrifice, those are the things that ought to be filling our hearts and minds. Then it is those things that will come out of the overflow of our mouths. It is not willpower. It's not going to be your willpower that's going to change the tide of your, your mouth, okay? Um, it's going to be God and God himself. Look, it, it's the, even the good things that the Lord gives us, like vacation, okay? I love vacation. I love to plan for vacation and go on vacation, okay? Think about vacation. Where's the next place I'm going to go, all right? But that can really slowly turn to an idol, just like with your kids, right? Our kids. Well, what school are they going to go to? What sport are they going to play? Okay? And that becomes the meditation of, our, oh, that's the tournament. We, we really need to go to that one. Okay? Because that's going to advance their career. <laughs> oh, boy. We all do it. I'm just saying it. We just do it, you know. What's going to stem the tide? When is it we're going to become a people of God that really speak grace? This is what I want to leave us with. Let's turn to Ephesians altogether. Ephesians chapter 4, okay. And, you know, I mean, we, we can all do with these two verses Verse 29 of chapter 4, okay, I want to end with this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, 
as fits the occasion. Here, here's the punchline. That it may give grace to those who hear. This, this is a transformed tongue. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The way that we speak either makes our God happy or it doesn't. The way in which we use our, our, our tongues can really grieve the Holy Spirit that resides in us. So that's the positive, okay? What then shall we do? There's a negative, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouth. But here's the positive, only such as good for building up and giving grace, okay? It's a very simple principle, okay? But I think one that will serve us well as a church, as a people of God, as a worshiper of God, that we think about this, that we meditate upon this, that at the end of the day, like I said, okay, it is not just to willpower ourselves to be clean talkers, okay, but it ultimately feeds into who we are and how we worship our God. That's the end game, okay? It's not just to be able to say, oh my gosh, instead of oh my God, (gasps) Yeah, that's not the end game. The end game is to be a proper worshiper of God and his people together. 